Hey, what's up, everybody? It's AJ Popoff. And Kevin Baldus. From the band Lit. And you're listening to Appetite for Distortion. You know where they are. Distortion. Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 321. My yeah. name is Brando, wow. and I'm I'm excited. I, I high school me is kind of freaking out. I hope I'm not dating. You guys, but I mean, lit AJ yeah, and Kevin. I mean, I just yeah. it's I never separate. thought I appreciate. It. I know you're 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 separate. We're all separate, but together here on this uh this episode. So if I may ask, I'll just introduce who came on the Zoom first, if you don't mind, AJ. Yeah, uh, Kevin and his his feline. Where are you guys located right now? I'm in Orange County, California. Yep, northern northern part of Orange County. Uh, and and I got my cat Dixie with me. I love it. And my 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 <laughs> listeners know I got cat it may, randomly, you know, my cat GB makes jump on the mixer. So if you see yeah. if you see me cut out for any reason, it was because I was uh, attacked by a cat. That's why. Okay. Maybe my cat can interview your cat. Man, all right, let's let's put it. Let's talk after. Let's see we can, <laughs> the podcast. All right, no, yeah. all right. Well, getting off on a, <laughs> a very cheesy note here. <laughs> uh, AJ, AJ Popoff, welcome. Yeah, man. Where Thanks, you, dude. How, where are you? I know. Uh, are you kind of near Kevin? Are you guys um, are you sick of each other because you're on the road all the time? That's why you're separate right now. Where uh, we we couldn't we really couldn't be much further. I'm a I'm in Nashville. Uh-huh. So oh wow, okay yeah. So we're, we do we do most of our stuff Zoom these days unless Kevin I think spends more time out here because this is where we're we've been getting most of our work done over the past couple of years. So a little bit more of a well, it's Music City so. When did you move to Nashville? Because this segues into, I mean, Kevin's still in Orange County, and we're going to talk about your, your roots in, in the podcast, which is not just about the song, My Own Worst Enemy, but I'm really fascinated by the background and how early the history of Lit goes back. Yeah. So when did you move to Nashville, Just first yeah. of all? Because that's got to be a culture sh- change for you. Um, well, I mean, started spending a lot of time here years and years ago, um, coming out here and just sort of getting my feet wet and collaborating with a lot of the songwriters out here. And, and I kind of felt like just, just a lot of growth was happening as a writer and, um, an artist in general, but that was probably about shoot coming on 15 years now ago, probably, but we would have bought a house here a long time ago. I think if it weren't, you know, it was our, we have a daughter who was in high school and then kind of waiting for her to complete schooling and then choose a college. And, and she did about a year and a half ago, she went off to, um, Go. She's a Ute now, uh, hmm. University of Utah, and that we kind of took that as a green light to make our big move hmm. as well. And so, about a year and a half, we've been here full time. Okay. And I see you're yeah. settling in. If you're watching this on a YouTube channel, you got the Elvis statue behind you, right? The little I statuette. Do. I, you want a funny story, real quick about that? Sure, Elvis please. We were just recently on the road and went into this really cool antique, like memorabilia store, and they had a ton of Elvis stuff. I bought. I could have bought like everything and been stoked but i just kind of picked out a few items and i got a i got actually not that that was a different uh shop but this one i bought 
got it home and realized I had another one just sitting on my living room counter, the exact same one. So I thought I have two of this decanter, but I have a huge Elvis collection and most of it's in the garage, but I kind of pull out my, my favorite items now. Okay. That's funny. And you know what? That's cool because it goes to, again, the beginnings when you think of lit, when at least when I first thought of lit, I mean, you guys broke out when I uh, was in high school and that's when, you know, I remember putting, you know, my own worst enemy and miserable on when you, you would make mix CDs. That's dating uh-huh. myself. So it, yeah. it's just it's just really uh, funny. But so but to do the research of the band, I had no idea the the influence that isn't just the I guess the SoCal rock and roll. Like, there's just a deeper a deeper uh, backstory to it. So I guess if you can guys yep. can tell us about Razzle because I listened to the first episode of the podcast. And much to my listener's surprise, and I was happy. I listened to it regardless. I didn't know Guns N' Roses were going to be mentioned three times, but they're mentioned because you guys go back to that that Sunset, sunset Strip era. Yeah. Believe it or not, people might very, very surprising. It really is. Yeah. You want to take it, AJ? Or? No, go ahead, Kev. Those are definitely really fun years for us, but I'll let Kevin kick it off. We, um, we, I met AJ and Jeremy in around 1984, uh, and it wasn't until – AJ got transferred over to the high school that I was going to Savannah in Anaheim that we started hanging out. You know, he, he was into heavy metal. I was into heavy metal. And then those type of groups would hang out with each other. So, um, and I already knew him and I knew his brother and whatnot, but, um, it wasn't for a couple of years that AJ said he was jamming with this guy named Sean. And, and I was like, dude, I want to be a singer. And AJ was playing drums at the time. And, uh, long story, I'll try and shorten it a little bit the cliff notes version. Um, so I went over there, I tried out singing, uh, singing didn't pan out for me. Uh, I, we needed a bass player. So I ended up playing bass cause I kind of knew how to play guitar and, uh, we were pretty young at the time. And, um, we did one show with AJ on drums and we had a couple of different guys in the band and we knew it didn't feel right. And it wasn't working. We were like, man, this is not going to be, and we were somehow we knew AJ, he just had a thing about him that was like, dude, you, you kind of need to be a lead and lead singers were harder to find, you know? And, um, I knew a guy named Alan that would, uh, I could probably pull in to play drums. And so we pulled Alan in to play drums. AJ tried out singing and, uh, we had, it just seemed a bit more magical. It seemed to fit a little better, a little bit better that way. So Jeremy at the time wasn't in the band just yet. He booked our shows and stuff though. Um, he was in another band at the time and, uh, we did one or two shows. Oh, we did a handful of shows as a four piece. And then Jeremy entered the, the picture. Jeremy could see how hungry we were and how we were out for blood. We really wanted to do this. And of course, you know, Jeremy was already helping us, but wasn't in the band just yet. So Jeremy got in the band and, and um, it, the rest is history. But yeah, we hung out on the Sunset Strip for quite a few years. And man, those were pretty good times. You hear about Studio 54 in New York, the Sunset Strip from... Gazzari's or Turner's uh, Gil was it called Gill's Liquor? Gil Turner's, yeah, yeah, all the way down to the whiskey was thousands of people on the streets drinking and socializing and going to shows. There was like three or four places right there that you could go see shows at, and we were a part of all of that, and it was a lot of fun. I mean, and it, it literally was like going to school though, because you learned a lot. You you did different things. You watched the older guys. What are they doing? And how are they doing this? And, Hey, let's, let's do that. I like doing that, you know? And, but we were younger and we had such a great following kind of out of the gate 
um, a lot of older guys were opening for us, which was at times awkward because they're older dudes, you know, they're older musicians, but they're opening for us because we had the crowd and, and, um, but yeah, to get back to your point, we, uh, we spent a lot of years cutting our teeth at, on the sunset strip. We were, I mean, it was a lot of work. We were there. We were probably there just about every weekend, I think we're close to it, especially if we had a show coming up and we, each guy would have like literally a stack of flyers about that yeah. tall. And we would show up, we would each have like a half pint or we, a couple of us would share like a half pint of Southern comfort or peppermint schnapps or whatever, because it was usually really cold. You know, we'd be out flying and freezing. Um, so we park the car and sip on that, get warm, get a little buzz going. And then we go out until, till our flyers were completely gone. Yep. And we did that so much and we just, you know, guerrilla marketing and, and just built our following like that. And so it was, yeah, it was definitely our, what we call our college years of, uh, in music, you know? How old were you at the time? Because you hear stories about, because again, it's the mid eighties. You hear stories about Poison doing that, Motley Crue doing that, Jet Boy doing that, the DIY stuff. And that's yeah. what you did. And again, it's it's amazing because you're not that era, but you are that era. You're in a weird, I don't know, if you're making like a Venn diagram kind of thing of just where yeah. the lit story is, that you were able to experience that hair metal, but you are not at all, of course, grouped into that. So you got... Like, no, it's cr- crazy hearing you say that because we did, we caught the tail end of that, uh, of the Sunset Strip really seen. We, luckily, we got to be a part of it and learn so much from it. And this, a similar thing happened, I feel like, at the, you know, in the end of the 90s. Like, we caught, we're a 90s band, you know, they would say. Right. Um, but we really caught the very tail end of what was an MTV TRL, TRL rock band, you know, and, like, got to experience that that part of it. And, uh, and then we just sort of, we learned and we took what we learned from each of those things. And we keep rolling and keep evolving because we've, we've just sort, sort of always just been survivors, you know, and... Um, rolling with the punches the best we can and open to letting ourselves grow and change, you know, cause not many bands stay together as long as we have, you know? So it's like when, when you see the change that's happened over the years, you gotta, I guess, remind yourself that man, most bands probably didn't last long enough to really watch them go through those changes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, um, it's interesting. And we definitely were, we're proud of the fact that we're able to ho- keep it together, you know? Mm. keep it together and kind of have that bunker mentality about being a student of music and being like, all right, what's working here? What's going to work for us? So that's Uh why, and I didn't want to be a total spoiler alert for myself. So that's why I only listened to one of the four episodes of the podcast is because I, I, it's interesting to hear of, okay, you're, you know, Guns N' Roses is out, you know, Nirvana's coming in, but then you guys are creating your own thing, the SoCal and you're getting, you're getting influenced by the offspring you know, I guess when did you feel finally comfortable as lit, especially when you had a following as Razzle before this other band? Man, a lot of growing pains, definitely over the years, but good, good, you know, they're, they're good kind of pain. You know, you, you feel yourself, you feel yourself go, you know, outside the lane from time to time and it feels good to do that. But then sometimes you find yourself, you know, oh, I'm just going to go back. I'm going to go back here and, 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 and back where I was, you know, it just felt right. Um, but I don't know, Kev, what do you think? We're, we're, uh, I think, uh, when, when my worst enemy broke and even prior to that, but, um, my worst enemy was a large song in 99. Um, but there was a lot of other things going on and we didn't fit in, in, in a lot of those categories, but could we play with some of those other bands? We did. And we can, 
Um, and so I think pretty early on, we knew to be just comfortable with whatever we came up with and whatever we were, we, we, we sort of dressed differently. You know, we played with blank, but we were dressing, uh, you know, as, as if we were going to go out on a night of the town, uh, in Las Vegas, you know, we were, we were way into like the swingers. We were into Goodfellas. There was something about all of that that we thought was really cool. And we still do, obviously we, we still like to, to dress up and go out, but I think early on we were pretty comfortable in our skin and, and as you get older, you appreciate that uh, you got your own individual thing that you have to offer. You know, that being said, we have played with so many different artists over the year. So just because we're different musically and different, you know, um, fashion wise, we could still play with a lot of those bands and we still have a lot in common with a lot of those bands, you know, that we, we still like, we like those bands and we like a lot of the stuff that they grew up on. So, you know, our influences a bit are all over the place. And yeah. I think you, you hear it in, the, in our songs. And I think it's kind of kept, like Kevin was saying, it's kept that sort of opportunity open to, you know, we do have, we have some heavy riffs and, you know, distort, distorted guitars and, and heavy hidden drummers that, that play for us. And, um, but at the same time, we've always been very melodic and we have these pop sensibilities that, maybe some metal bands don't have but at the same time like kevin said we love those bands too we grew up going to iron maiden concerts and you know metallica and you know we're gnr fans we're all we're fans of all that stuff and and the evolution of it so the fact that a lot of these bands here i think they can hear a little bit of themselves in us because they influenced us that's what's allowed us to go out and yeah get on get on stage with poison and and play songs with them and have them in our home video or get out you know with you know play play with uh like we were talking about Cam Freddy and Matt Sorum on drums and got to jam with him a couple of times and Dave Navarro. It's really all, all over the place. We're just such big music fans that we just gravitate towards, you know, anybody um, from Elvis Costello to Iron Maiden, you know? Yeah. It's also your, what I always am gravitated towards. I don't know if you were able to tell with my poor sense of humor so far on the podcast, but you guys have a great sense of humor. As I change <laughs> my, my virtual background to you guys uh, in the video, awesome. rubbing your, uh, Bowling balls. Uh, any fun things <laughs> you can you can kind of remind us about because that's a classic video Ooh. when videos were a big deal. You know, I I still remember it. Yeah, I had fun rewatching it. You know, to kind of psych myself up for this interview. But it's like, oh yeah, this this it, it's all comes back yeah, to man. me. Anything that yeah. sticks out in particular about shooting my own worst enemy, the video. Well, for me, it was uh, it was my twenty sixth birthday when <laughs> we were filming it. We filmed it over the course of two days and. I think it was the first day I was asked to go outside, like, Hey, uh, somebody needs you outside. So I remember going outside and everybody got together and they had a cake and I'll never forget that because things were really starting to bubble at that point. The song was all over the radio and here we were rushing to get the video done. So, cause we had to leave to go out on the road for the next two years, things were lined up. So that was a very special time. I mean, like we said earlier, you know, we were in college for so long. We finally left college and, we finally got our degree and we were allowed to go out and live the rock and roll dream that we'd always dreamed about, you know, and it was, it was a lot of fun and making that video before we left was, was really special, really cool. What about it was, man. this? I mean, I have to, and I don't, I will see how this, <laughs> this background translates to zoom, but I got to try it. Uh, Pamela Anderson, when you guys are all tiny on a scantily clad yeah, Pamela Anderson, <laughs> 
Uh, look at you being yes. held, uh, little little AJ. Being that's right, that's you uh, being. Yeah. <laughs> anything? That's, yeah. Anything you could t- tell us about the? I mean, the miserable. Great, great song, but the video again just takes man. it to another level. Dude, she was yeah, it was surreal, man. She she, I would say, Pamela was probably at like an all time. She's she's an amazing person in general. She's so she, extremely smart, really cool. But like, as far as like. Dude, top of her game. Like she, I don't think she's ever looked better. Um, just super killer to work with. Like she was there for like I don't know about four, 13, 14 hours. I want to say, um, just never once complained. Just like was stoked and stoked to be there and brought her kids. And I mean, dude, like one of the coolest videos. I think whether it was us or not, it's like one of one of my favorite videos. Just to, how can it not be? Yeah. We uh, put on mute if you must. <laughs> <laughs> no, we got, we got asked. She had a show called VIP, which was a, a little bit of a um, spoof on on detective work type okay. stuff. And, um, they were going to use one of our songs for the show, so they asked us, "Hey, do you mind if we use a song for the show?" And we were like, "Yeah, of course." And then they wanted us to do a walk on where we just kind of walk in on a scene, and and we said, "Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, absolutely." And next thing we know, we're being invited down to L.A. to a hotel to have a sit down with with all the people for VIP. And they said, listen, we want to write an entire script with you guys in it. And Valerie Irons, Pamela Anderson, she's going to help you guys uh, out. You know, she's going to do some detective work or whatever. And it was we're not actors. But how do you say no to that? Pamela Anderson is asking you to be on her show. Yes. So what ended up happening around that same time, our label had a, uh, uh, what do they call them, a, a script for a video, and it was... Treatment? A treatment, video treatment, and the girl was going to be really big, and, and you guys are going to play perform on her. We, I personally thought it was kind of lame, and I think we all did. But yeah. when we were starting to film VIP, we were like, if you can get Pam to be the 50-foot woman, then we're in. Mm. So our people contacted her people, and then she came up with the idea, yeah, I'll be in the video and we'll do the world premiere on my VIP show. So the world premiere of the video was on her actual show. Oh, okay. I remember the show, but I was not an avid watcher of VIP. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, so it got us a lot more worldwide attention because her show was in every country in the world. And so <laughs> we had like overdubs, like it'd be us speaking <sighs> German or, yeah. or Japanese or whatever. And that's amazing to watch. Yeah. It's so funny. What a trip. That's funny. Um, and, and then now I'd be remiss, of course, and I'll change my background again to something more uh, PG. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at that, the car background. You know, yeah. driving around in just your classic cars, the classic style. You know, can you tell me about yeah, the, the new song and just this new stuff from, from Lit before we get into any G&R thing, you know? Yeah, man. We, we uh, you know, when we kind of like went into quarantine, it took a minute to like, want to be creative again but once we started you know we were tired of sitting around doing nothing and drinking too much and you know like like a lot of people were doing during the shutdown we you know we all we decided to make the move here and the band in general we just kind of kicked into to creative mode and discussed the direction a little bit because we you know we the last record was leaned a little bit more, more country and we had been writing so much of that and and it just felt natural and that's why we put it out. But after putting it out, we had discussions and like whether or not we should have called that record a lit record or maybe just made it a side project, call it pop off brothers or whatever. Um, but we intentionally wanted to get back to 
that same chemistry that's kept us a band all these years, I think, and just like this energy and whatever, wherever our heads were in 1999, 2000, you know, going through like the Atomic record and the Black record, um, really wanted to put our heads back there and start writing songs like that again. Um, and we found this really cool magic is sort of like rediscovery of that by bringing in, um, you know, we, we, we've been working a lot with these two dudes, Eric and Carla, who have been co-writing and co-producing with us and really brought this cool, like new school production approach to it. So we, although we went back to a lot of the classic feel of lit, we also have introduced a very new school, like very fresh sound. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. is a little more like just throw back balls to the wall, just straight rocking. And then as you kind of, I think, dig deeper into this new record, you're going to hear like some different layers to us that you had never heard before and things that sound really like new and current and fresh in a cool way, but also that classic lick that lit that made people like made people fall in love with us back in, you know, the late nineties. So it's just cool, man. It's just the best thing I could think of is just like a, is a rediscovery, you know, and, and, and some new, some new uh, ingredients too. I'm excited for it to hear the whole thing. You know, obviously the video and the, and the, and the single is out now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so much fun, man, to make that video too, by the way, <laughs> you guys know how to make videos as we've been uh, discussing for sure. And I'd be, I, I would uh, be remiss if I, cause I got some questions from, uh, from listeners for you guys when I said you were coming on. Uh, this is from okay. Jason Britt, who's somewhere in New York. I'm not sure. I think he's from Buffalo actually. Uh, so this is the AJ directly. Uh, you scribble the initial lyrics for My Own Worst Enemy on a notepad in a beat-up Cadillac. I know you guys are big caddy guys. Do you still have that one, if not a similar one in better shape? No. Um, it sucks because I had that, you know, we had old Cadillacs and these old cars that were, you know, back in the day, I think it was before the movie Swingers came out, you were able to, like, find these golden nuggets of, these old cars that were like whether it was somebody's like grandmother that you know had passed away or it was just in the family and you'd find these cars for like a couple thousand dollars and you score these like dope old rides and over the years they got to you know they got to be pretty expensive and they were hard to keep up too it's hard to find parts for them and stuff but once the band started getting busier and started touring a lot man we there was nowhere to keep this big, you know, this boat. I loved it. It was my, it was my baby. It was my everyday driver. And I had to park it outside my condo in a parking space and it was just getting weathered. And we'd come home for like a couple of days and there'd be spider webs everywhere. And I started noticing like little issues and I was like, man. And, and so I just decided I, there was no way I was going to be able to take care of this car. And I, I donated it to um, a charity. And so it was kind of like a win-win and I, the car, hopefully found a good home and, and went to a good cause. And that's cool. But no, I thought it, I, I had, we don't have classic cars right now. We're, <sighs> we're kind of, I kind of been having that itch, hmm. but um, I don't know, man, you start to, it's it, most, of, most of the time it'd probably sit, sit in the garage, you know, just I'd be afraid to wreck it. Okay. Well, I don't know. I'll get in addition to I'll get back to one though, eventually. Or in in addition to cla- uh, collecting like Elvis statuettes, just invest in Hot Wheels or Matchbox, and I don't there know, you get there. You're filled I, that I way. I do still have the piece of paper that I wrote the lyrics down on. It's like just right over there in a drawer, but I've managed to hold on to that part. It's just in a drawer with like your passport and stuff. It's not framed. Yeah, it's, it's actually in with the uh, cassette tape of the original demo of My Armor's <laughs> Enemy. Nice, nice. Yeah. That is very cool. 
Um, this one uh, is also from Jason Britt, but however, it's directed towards Jeremy, who was going to, I think was, uh, initially might've come on. So I don't know, maybe Kevin, you can answer this. Who knows? Yeah, maybe I'll answer it. Um, in the video for looks like they were right, uh, Jeremy was wearing a Buffalo NY shirt. Um, maybe Van Halen. He's not sure. Being from Buffalo, uh, he was curious if there was a story behind that shirt or if it was randomly selected. So I'm not sure if. You remember? Yeah, I can't answer. Uh, we all I know on that video, we tried to cover a lot of our inspiration in there. Um, you know, Led Zeppelin with the bow on the on the Les Paul. We have the Eddie Van Halen guitar, and um, uh, but as far as his clothing goes, I know we we I think we wore some Def Leppard uh, shirts or something with the the Iron Jack or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, but I, the Buffalo shirt. I have no idea. Was- yeah, I can't picture it. I can't picture what that was either. But I do know, yeah, we we did flash through the influences and different, you know, okay. old rock bands and yeah. I think you answered, you both answered uh Jason's questions appropriately. Right. So that's that's all good. That's all good. So let me ask as we're talking about you know, you mentioned Eddie Van Halen and we're we were discussing, you know, your your time on the Sunset Strip in that era. Have you have you had experiences with Van Halen or seeing Eddie Van Halen or you know, uh, of course, Guns N' Roses, as this is the, the GNR-themed, GNR-flavored podcast. So I'm just curious who you may have seen in the heyday when you were younger, when you were in college, so to speak. Uh, you Oh, see him in, in concert? Um, either or. I mean, if you have a, we, I always use the six degrees of GNR bacon, as I call it. So if you met any of the guys uh-huh. as, as Guns N' Roses or, or Eddie Van Halen, because you, you mentioned him, that's why uh, it, it sticks in my head now. But I'm curious, when you guys were younger on this trip, who you might have seen in the heyday before they blew up? You know, did you get to well, see? Here's, here's kind of a, a story. I didn't see GNR. Jeremy did see GNR at the Celebrity Theater, which is a like a probably a 1,500-seater in Anaheim, California. And he saw them. I think Appetite might have just come out. But, I mean, they were not what – they weren't a household name yet, right? Um but I, I can't speak for Jeremy. I mean, he he does have stories about going to that show, and I, I'm obviously envious. Like, dude, I knew you at the time, clearly. Why didn't you take me, you know? <laughs> but um, I don't know. AJ, did you go to that show, or are you aware of that show? I remember hearing about it. But no, I didn't go. I want to yeah. say – why do I want to say L.A. Guns open for him or something trippy? Well, L.A. Guns I, – I went to see L.A. Guns on their first – tour at the celebrity theater with racer x and Madel fang okay okay um here's a funny story uh well not funny (laughs) but we we got predicted by bill gazari uh you've heard of the world famous gazaris they predicted uh bill gazari predicted the doors he predicted rat van halen well he actually predicted razzle at the time that we were gonna make it you know we were just one of the house bands. We played there all the time. It was packed. And, and so he liked us. And so he gave us a, a star on stage. And then that star gets put up outside. And those are kind of his predictions of bands that are going to make it, right? Well, about a week or two after he gave us that star, he passed away. And we were very close with the the Gazaris Club and, and the family and everything. So we, of course, went to the funeral. And behind the bar... I don't know what year this was. It was around 90, 91. I'm going to go ahead and say it was 91. Behind the bar in a snakeskin jacket was Axl Rose. And the and the other, and, and uh, Ron Jeremy was there, of course. And then uh, <laughs> David Lee Roth's dad was there. David Lee Roth was not there. He was on tour. But David Lee Roth's dad is a doctor. And he came, I remember him going up and speaking. I'm a huge Van Halen fan. So, of course, when I heard when Dr. Roth was there, I was like, what? Who? <laughs> 
you know, and he went up and said, I, Dave wanted to be here, but he couldn't because he's on tour, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, because this is a GNR, I remember Axl Rose being there. And I remember kind of getting that weird feeling like, holy crap, dude. And he obviously was behind the bar so nobody can get to him. You know, nobody, he didn't want anybody talking to him. He just, but he was there and it was pretty cool to see him. Then uh, I guess let me ask, because you were absorbing so much at that time. Do you remember when Appetite for Destruction hit, when that kind of almost changing of the guard happened? I guess when they were the, the hair metal was out, and I don't know if I'm being biased. I don't consider GNR hair metal. To me, they were like the in-between to Nirvana and Grunge a bit. But yeah. do you remember hearing yeah, I do them? Remember. We, we had a, a large uh, rock and roll station here in L.A. called KNEC. And, and that was the station you listened to. If you liked rock and roll, uh, you listen to KNEC. And um, they were playing Welcome to the Jungle, of course. And it obviously sounded different from everything else. And then when you would see the video, you were like, what in the hell's going on here? I mean, they're glammy, but it's very dirty and very rough around the edges. And almost like they didn't take it very seriously, but did. You know, I, it, it, Obviously, everybody's seen the video. I mean, so you can imagine as a young kid, I mean, it definitely got your attention and it was rougher and dirtier and it was, there was a, something appealing about it, but yeah, it was taken off like wildfire, obviously. I mean, people were gravitating towards that, you know? Hmm. It was kind of sunset strip with a little bit more of that, like punk rock glam, like the Hanoi rocks kind of, yeah, I think more image wise. And then just, yeah, had that, it had a, maybe just a bluesier, Right. Something. But you know, everyone felt it. Just like he said, just like when Nirvana came out, you felt that, all right, climate is changing. And that was a shift that they created, um, which, was, which was very fresh and exciting. Because then it all of a sudden lights a new fire under everybody's ass. Like, this is really cool. And it pushes you to go outside the box a little bit and really try and find your unique quality that they had found, you know, which, right. which then in turns, turn becomes is I think how you get some more unique sounding bands with their own sound. And then there's some copycats that last a while. And then someone else goes, I'm going to go outside and get uncomfortable until I make it, you know, and then you know it, it kind of made sense when guns of roses came out and we're really familiar with Hollywood. We spent a lot of time going up there from orange County, but for us, it had most of the clubs that we could play all age clubs. We were underage. Um, but if you knew anything about Hollywood, Guns N' Roses is, it makes perfect sense because there's a lot of glitz and glamour about Hollywood, but it also has a lot of dark alleys with a lot of seedy things happening in those alleys. And we did some of those things in those alleys, but Guns N' Roses is just that. There's glam and glitter there, but they're also seedy and dirty and grungy. And it, it kind of was the perfect Hollywood band. And, you know, and then you had your LA Guns, your Faster Pussycats and Love Hates that were kind of along the same lines. You know, then what did you guys yeah. think when when grunge came in? Like, how did you feel about that? Again, experiencing being a, a band in the early 80s and you, as you mentioned earlier, AJ, you know, lit if you want to throw a, you know, just a general a 90s band label to it. You know, obviously much, much deeper than that. But you're a 90s band, but you're not grunge. So I'm just curious what you as a fellow 90s band, what do you think about that with all your knowledge of. Uh, um, We. We're always, I mean, I, th I think we're like a sponge. I do think we do absorb anything that's appealing to us, which we listen to so many different genres. When, gr when grunge stuff came out, there were so many bands that we flipped out over and, you know, fell in love with and listened to a lot of And And the, a lot of their sound de definitely trickled into our sound for a period of time. If you listen to a, a Trip and Light Fantastic record, 
you'll hear a lot of that in our music. And I think we wanted to experiment with it because we loved it so much and we're constantly experimenting, but we, we definitely went in, tried it out a little bit and then went back outside of that. I think that vibe. And when we discovered our own sound, which is very, a place in the sun is definitely years and years of finding ourselves. And that was like, I feel like the first record where we're like, okay, I think this is our sound. I think we found kind of a sound, even though we do, there's everything from very up-tempo to ballads to, you know, we've kind of kept the the doors open to do whatever we want, but we definitely became, you know, lit when yeah. A Place in the Sun came out. It's it's so cool. And again, I, I, met, I mentioned, and I encourage everybody to listen to My Own Worst Enemy, the podcast. And I think this is kind of be... This is going to be the beginning. Speaking of copycats, I think people are going to copy you and this formula right now for the podcast because it's very interesting. It's not just, yeah, yes, it's not just, you know, four podcasts about one song. I mean, just like how this isn't a podcast about Guns N' Roses. It is and it isn't. Obviously, we're talking yeah. about a lot of other things. But the way yeah. it's it's produced, it's like a true uh, true crime lit. <laughs> That's kind of what it sounds like. You know, just yeah. the, the, with the narrator and the sound effects. It's very, very cool. So uh, congratulations. I, yeah. I, I thought the same yeah. thing. I, I said something the other day about not – I don't listen or watch a lot of podcasts. But obviously I, I wanted to check ours out. Like what did they do? Because all, they, all I ever did was the interview. <laughs> I didn't know how it was going to turn out. And it was supposed to be three, and they ended up doing four. And I thought that was kind of neat. I was like, well, what did they do? So I listened to the first one and I would literally was like, man, this is pretty awesome. Like, um, I watch a lot of documentaries on Netflix, even about things that I don't, or even bands I don't typically listen to, but I'm just curious about their story. And, and I like a good story, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, and, and I think lit has a great story. I mean, we're four guys that have been at it a long time and, we were reaching for the dream and we had this goal and we, we achieved it, you know? And, um, that's, that's our story. And the podcast touches on a lot of that. It's not all about my worst enemy. It talks about everything. And it's really, they did yeah, a man. really good job putting it together. Yeah, I agree. A lot of people don't realize, I, I think when a band has like any kind of success, especially when that's like your first, that introduces you to the band. Most people just, they start there. So it's cool to get a backstory and, and let, show people, a little bit of the the struggles we went through you know there was definitely many many times we could have said ah shit well nice we we tried you guys you know but it's but the fact that you know we just didn't take no for an answer and we kept pushing kept pushing got knocked down got back up kept going kept going and it really took a long long time to have any sort of success and i think it's cool for people to be able to hear that side of it and and maybe inspires somebody to to push a little harder yeah or stick it out a little longer because you know just when you think you, you aren't you aren't making it you, I, you know, keep your keep your nose to the grinder you'll you'll get there. I couldn't agree more. Again, I was floored to learn that the history of lit goes back to eighty four, eighty five. Yeah, I mean, again, yeah. this was you know I associate you guys with my high school, and you were kind of mm-hmm. a newish band then, and just to learn about you know especially you know I've been in uh, radio for. I don't know. I may not seem feel like it, but in 20 years at this point, I, I I'm 38, but I, I count college. College counts, and, uh, and right on. And I'm still not, I guess, where I want to be. But there's a whole story that goes behind. So if somebody you know no hears this episode uh, with Lit and they want to go back further, they can learn about it. But I think it's smart. Yeah, there's a lot of people that just might know my own worst enemy. Oh, I really like that song. You know what? Let me hear what this is about. 
and then just learn so much. And then that just leads to what are they up to now? And you obviously have stuff going on right now. Um, so I guess what is the come? What can we expect with the, uh, the, like, when is the, did you mention that when the album is, I haven't seen a, a date yet, right? When that might be hitting. I want to say that the date I believe is May 6th, but we are going to be releasing more singles leading up to that date. Um, that I don't know, but uh, we will be releasing more singles, and I believe yeah. the album is dropping May 6th. And I got to be honest with everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah is a great song. It's been getting a lot of great feedback. People are loving it. It's actually not my favorite song on the album. There are songs on that album that are, to me, and I can say this because some quite a bit of the material I wasn't involved with, there's some great songs on there that AJ and Jeremy and, and uh, some co-writes uh, put together that, that are fantastic, really good stuff. And I, I can't wait mm-hmm. to actually be able to just play the whole thing. I mean, I have it all in different files, you know, on my phone, but, um, we've been playing a lot of the new stuff, not a lot, but a, a, a good little handful, you know, maybe a cor- a quarter of the record, but we've been busting them out. Some of these live shows we're doing and we'll all probably agree on this. We haven't really gotten that sort of feedback reaction from the crowd really since probably a place in the sun record where we're playing songs for the first time and fans are literally like, like you can just see their the light bulb go off in their heads or they're, they're just perking up and there. We're getting great feedback over these songs live, these new ones. So, you know, it feels good. It, it feels, it, it's always fun to play new music live, but especially when you're getting that reception from the fan base and that sort yeah. of, everyone seems really excited that, that it is a rock record. And then we went back to some of the roots and it, it's an exciting time for us and for the fans, I think for the old school fans. And the tour has been going well. I know in, in today's, you know, apocalyptic world, it's a, uh, it can be challenging. So I, you know, I hope to, when you, you're in my neck of the woods, whether it be New York city or long Island, I, I want, I need to see lit. I, well, you know, Dude, I, I love for the sure, man. Yeah, man. We, we love, we love being on the road. We love, even if we got to fly out and fly right back home, well, you know, we always love just getting on stage and um, love New York, love Long Island. We'd love to get back soon. Yeah. Dude, I wanted, to, I wanted to touch on something real quick that I thought about and we didn't touch on because this is a GNR themed or, you know. However my stu- I phrase it. It's because if I, if I call it a Guns N' Roses podcast, everyone just thinks like that's all it's about and that's all I yeah, do. Yeah. And I'm just... I wouldn't get lit on. I feel like, why do I want to talk about Guns N' Roses for 60 minutes or whatever? So right. that's, that's, that's the reason. We, we had a, a guy that did lighting for us. His name was Moondog. That's his real birth name on his birth certificate. And uh, we had a warehouse that we rented m- monthly. It was a huge warehouse, and that's where we kept all our gear. But we built a stage in there because when we rehearsed, we wanted every rehearsal we kind of – treat it almost like a show. We'd run through the set list. Well, leading up to the stage were two sets of stairs. They are aluminum stairs. We ended up painting them gold because we were into this plush kind of look, but the stairs were from the use your illusion tour. And we had forever. And then we started renting out because we were gone so much on the road. This was after, you know, well, the steps were when we were younger and then we finally made it. We had the steps forever. We went out on the road. We ended up subleasing our warehouse to other bands. And then when we came home, we ended up getting another place. And that place was a sub sublease. Well, what ended up happening is one of the bands got a hold of Jeremy and said, hey, we're leaving. And there's still a bunch of stuff in your warehouse. You might want to grab it because we're leaving. And, and 
we're not going to play anymore. Well, I don't know what happened, but nobody ever went back to that warehouse and grabbed the stuff. But the lamp that's on the front cover of Trippin' Light Fantastic, that's gone. Those steps that were aluminum and probably worth their weight in gold, gone. Worth their weight in aluminum? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Shame on me for – because that's in the first episode. Shame on me for not bringing that up earlier. So, yeah, that the – when you talk about those user illusion stage steps that you got, they're gone. Is that what you're saying right gone. now? Somebody gone. recycled them or <sighs> that's, they, were, they got recycled for sure. That's and depressing. We also had a grill in the um, middle of the stage. We would put a light under the grill because we filmed a video there once. So we just kept the grill there. The grill was from the staging too. The original staging from Use Your Illusion. Because oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I forgot. I was going to ask if the, if you still had that. So obviously no. Oh man, yeah. that's depressing to think it's either crushed into a cube or if somebody has it. Yeah. I, I, what would you prefer if it got recycled into like siding or somebody is, has it? I wish somebody else was enjoying it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Just making sure. Cases and cases of natural light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be funny. Be terrible. Oh, then, you know what? Let me ask then since uh, I've got to ask this, uh, AJ. Uh, how is how has been playing with, uh, how how was playing with Matt Sorum in, uh, in Camp Freddy? How did that come about? Dude, I, um, I got hit up to come out and just do a couple songs. Originally, we did, I want to say the Roxy. Um, and then I got asked to go to Vegas with them. So we got on private jet. It was actually um, Dave Navarro, Matt Sorum, Scott Weiland was on that flight. Um, this like little tiny plane. It was just really cool getting that, had that intimate time with guys like that, that I looked up to and then going to Vegas and getting to perform with them. And, um, but yeah, I mean, Matt's a super rad dude. We've kind of stayed in touch through like social media and we, we you know, chat here and there. Um, we follow each other's kind of day-to-day stuff and just, just a really cool, like awesome dude. Just one, he feels like just one of us. And it, and I, I'm reminded when I see old Guns N' Roses videos and, and stuff and I see like, hear the songs and I just watch him playing on these massive stages, how like to be part of GNR, you know, through the time he was in the band, like how insane that must've been. But um, he's very humble, very cool dude. Did you ever tell him the, the stairs story? No. Okay. Didn't. That's yeah. All right. To, Maybe next time. Next time we're around him, actually get into that story with him. But and and uh, he's only, got a great sense of style too, man. I don't know if you've seen his like sure his Palm Springs like layout. He's like he just loves like that old vintage car, mid century modern house and stuff. It's he's a stylish dude. Now it makes even more sense why you guys would uh would hit it off. Uh, I guess so. And, and let me just ask, because you had mentioned, and did you have, uh, other than just being on a flight with him, did you have a conversation with uh, Scott Weiland? Did you uh, get a chance to introduce yourself? Oh, we talked a little bit. He he was definitely not in a good place. You know, it was around the time he was kind of back and forth, like getting clean off the wagon kind of stuff. And he was, I think, off the wagon at the time. So um, wasn't really connecting a whole lot with with many people, you know? Okay. Um Talked talked a lot. Seemed like a nice enough guy, you know. I, but uh, man, one of the greatest performers I feel like Absolutely. of all time. I think he. It's really sad what happened to him. Yeah. Absolutely. One of the other. That's why I say GNR themed because I also talk about mental health and addiction and everything. Actually, because um, yeah. you mentioned I mentioned to you before we started recording, uh, Dave Navarro, who even though we're, we're recording this before I'm taping that, he's going to be I think in the episode before this. If that makes any sense. 
but okay. he, he's coming on to promote, you know, talk about uh, sobriety and, uh, you know, a big event he's putting on with Billy Morrison. So, you know, that's definitely yeah. a topic of conversation. So that's why it's even more special to see guys like you who went into those dark alleys on the Sunset Strip come out of it mm-hmm. and, and look where you, you know, both have beautiful Christmas trees and animals in the background. You're, you're, li- <laughs> you're living the dream. Thanks, you're living the dream. Yeah. So, uh, so thank you both. Yeah, man. Thank you, brother. Yeah, we feel. Uh, yeah, thanks for having us. Definitely feel fortunate to still still be uh, making music, new music, talking with you, and, and uh, yeah, man, looking forward to taking the new stuff out on the road and, and keeping it going. But appreciate your time, brother. You got it. Thank you so much. So that does it for this episode of Appetite for Distortion. When will you see the next one? In the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, you'll see it. I don't know if soon is the word. security, I'm going home.